Thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, this uh, rattling reminds me of, uh, I think it was 1991, Anaheim Vineyard was meeting in a very large tent, probably held 2,000 people, and, and there were no doors or anything. And, and we have these things called Santa Ana winds. They're warm winds, but they can really, really blow. And uh, one morning, we're in there, and it's blowing, and, and the big lights are shaking, you know, and rattling and everything like that. And I got up to uh, segue into introducing uh, Dr. Jack Deere, who used to be part of our preaching team. And I said, uh, and I praise God I'm not preaching today. And everybody kind of a little laughter, and I introduced Jack, and he came up and he goes, he goes, just, just, I, I'm just curious, how many others of you are thanking God that Carl's not preaching today? <laughs> just body slammed me, man. It was, I, I used to not mess with Jack. He was really, really smart. And, and one day he was talking to me, and, and he just took a shot at me. And I go, why did you do that? And he goes, well, I'm just getting him in while I can. And I go, truce, truce. I don't want to play this game with you, you know, because you're too sharp. Um, I've reworked my message in the last little bit here, uh, and I've added a little something to it, and uh, you'll understand when I'm, by the time I'm done. And, and I, do, I do have great confidence that I, I chose the right thing to do here because um, of some things I've been hearing coming out of people and stuff. And so I'm going to start by reading from uh, Lamentation 3, and I want you to listen very closely. I'm the man who has seen affliction. By the rod of the Lord's wrath, he has driven me away, and he's made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh go old, and he has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone, and he has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like the lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. I hope you're cheering up. Um, he, <laughs> whoa, uh, he drew his bow and he made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone in all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I will remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them in my soul is downcast within me. Does that warm me up or what? Um, 
And yet, this will I call to mind. And therefore, I hope, because of the Lord's great love, I've been redeemed. In the midst of life as we know it, the thing that keep, gives us perspective and keeps us moving forward is that we remember we remember who the Lord is. We remember what the Lord has done. We remember what, that's why these songs that John presented tonight that, that, uh, that he wrote, and they're brilliant, and they're, and they're full of uh, deep theological truth. And that's why it resonates so much in us, because knowing the truth of God is a great weapon against the lies of the enemy. Um, you know, they say about addicts, you know, drug addicts, any kind of addict, they, they say this, there was a way that you can know how they're, whether they're lying or not. And that's if their lips are moving. So if you have an addict in your life and they're talking to you, just trust they're not telling you the whole truth. Um, but, and that's the devil, that's what he does. He just, he's just constantly lying. And we have to re- remind ourselves of the truth the fullness, the, the, the depth, the width, the height of, of God's grace and mercy. It's so, it's, it, well, it's, I think it's incomprehensible. You can't, we can't conceive how great it is. Uh, but when we get glimpses of it, when we get touched by it, when we get moved by it, it, it penetrates really deeply, and it, and it changes our mind completely. It, it, it drives out the darkness completely. And, um, and so, Tonight, I want to just share with you about the, the, this thing about being a disciple of Jesus. I, I, everybody knows that we're supposed to be disciples of Jesus, right? But what does that mean? And because there really isn't another place to follow Jesus from other than a place of discipleship. There, now, we've made way for other ways to follow him. Uh, you know, you can just show up, you know, and be a number in a seat. Uh, you can give money. You can do different things, and, and you, you, can, you can be in. But you, you're not really in unless you're following Jesus really closely. I was talking to Kirk the other day, maybe yesterday, about this, this new role and, uh, that they have. And, and one of the things that they, they're saying this to me, uh, one of the things they need to do is stay as close to Jesus as they can. That's their protection. That's what will protect them against all the other things that will get in the way. And the truth is, there's, I think, life itself conspires in most cases to, to fill the space between us and Jesus. We're, we're seeking to, to emulate him. We're seeking to imitate him. We're seeking to be like him, to know what he knows and to do what he does. And, but from time to time, life's distractions including just getting worn out, uh, creates a distance between us and him. And our goal is to stay really, really close to him. Um, you might know this stuff, but uh, when, when, when they were in the Jewish schools, this, the, the, the boys went to school and they, they memorized the, New, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, and that, what, they did that when they were like five years old, you know. This is insane, but by the time they're 10 or 12, they knew the entire Old Testament by heart. 
And then as they went on and got a little bit older, they had, I don't know if this is legend or not, but they said if you drove a nail through the, a scroll, they could tell you what words that it was driven through. You know, they knew it that well. And so it was a series of, of cuts, a series of hurdles for them as they, uh, as they tried to ultimately become the cream of the crop. And that's what happened. They're, what you were left with is the best of the best. The students that, that knew the scripture, knew uh, what, what they'd been taught all those years. And if you were the best of the best, the greatest honor, the greatest privilege you would have as a young Jewish man in society was for a rabbi to come to your house and say, follow me. Follow me. And, and then nobody said no to that. Uh, everyone that got that, had that privilege said yes to that. And then they began to follow their rabbi, and they, they sought to, to, to know everything the rabbi knew. They sought to um, do everything the rabbi did. And they were, to, they, they were meant to walk so closely to the rabbi and stay in such contact with the rabbi. And now just flash on the whole idea that Jesus spent three and a half years, day and night, day and night, day and night, with these men he called. So, so you're meant to stay so close that there was a, a saying in that day that said, um, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. You know that they walked dusty roads and all that good stuff. And so the dust kicked up. And, and they said, you, you, you walk so close, you stay so tight with the rabbi that you're covered in his dust. This helps to make sense of, uh, of why the disciples who knew Jesus was a rabbi, we, we kind of read these texts sometimes and we think, they, you know, he was like some perfect stranger that walked up to him. But the area that Jesus ministered and lived and, 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 and operated in was a very, very small area. And, and he would have seen the guys mending their nets and going, taking their boats out. He would have seen Matthew doing his tax collection. He would have seen all that, and they would have seen him, and they would have known that he was a rabbi. And so for him to, to come to these people who weren't the best of the best, who hadn't passed all the tests, you know, and, and, and they weren't the cream of the crop. And for him to walk up to them and say, follow me, it was, it was earth shattering. And, and it was a great honor and a great privilege that, that he would say, follow me. And so they would drop what they were doing. And, they, they, you know, they, were, they had been passed over. And now they were getting chosen. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, so, so they were meant to, to stay really close, and they were meant to emulate and do whatever the rabbi did. And we saw that. We see that with Jesus. We see them, him teaching the word and then sending them, and then we see him doing the word. Uh, the transition between Matthew 7 and 8 says, you know, the people were astonished because he spoke as one who knew what he was talking about. He, didn't, he wasn't like the rabbis of the day who, who, who were these theor, theoretical people. Theoreticians. He was a, a theoretician who practiced it, who literally practiced it. He did the word and the works. And so he saw them. They saw him do that. They listened to him, and then they, they saw him do the things. And then he'd have little sidebars with them. And they'd go, what do you mean? <laughs> well, you know, he'd tell them a story, and they'd go, I don't know what that means. 
And uh, he goes, that's okay. Uh, it's been hidden for you for a and there'll be a time you'll understand. And so then there's a time we see that he sent them out. And he sent them out to what? Do what he'd been doing. And, and they, you know, and they went out and in most cases were quite successful. And so much so that one time they came back and they said, Jesus, you know, the lame are, are, are healed, uh, the blind see, uh, the poor, you know, are, are, have the gospel preached to them. And, uh, and, and even the, and the blind even see, and demons uh, leave when we use your name. And, and he said, well, don't praise God for that. Praise God that your name is written in the book of life. I mean, when we do this stuff, we have a tendency to, to get it mixed up. We have a tendency that when we do this, it somehow uh, brings more pleasure to the Lord. Uh, more favor from the Lord. No, we, it's, we, that's a done deal. Uh, I have six children, three granddaughters, and, and there, there's just nothing. There's nothing they'll do that will make me love them more. They're, you know, they will do things that will make me happier than some of the other things they do. Um, you know, every, every thanks, what we call Thanksgiving in the U.S., uh, you know, we get all the kids together and their spouses and kids and all this. And it, it seems like every year I hear a new story of their exploits that I knew nothing about. Uh, and, and I'm like, when was this happening? And they're like, well, you were in church. <laughs> and we were not in church. <laughs> and we were the, just the little hellions that had been set loose. And so, uh, but, you know, even with that, I, I love them. And I don't want to know any more than I already know. Uh, but, but, you know, we, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to add anything to the mix. Okay? Nothing we can do. Uh, but we can rest in what he's done. And you know what? I'm going to read a, a text here that we know well, but it's, you, you're not going to recognize it in this form. Um, but when Jesus called them, he said, he, said, he said, come to me. Remember that? All you who are burdened. And uh, so I think we miss it sometimes. I think we think that's an invitation. How's that an invitation? How is the Lord God saying, come to me, an invitation? How is the one who said, let there be light, and there was light, say, come to me, and you got some sort of choice? You know, how do you say no and Lord in the same breath? If you say no, he's not your Lord. Um, and that, that gap needs to, to close. He needs to be both Lord and Savior. And... Uh, We've accommodated all that kind of stuff. But, and, and there is a process of that. We see that with the disciples. We see that they didn't. They, he called them, right? And, and they started following him. Did they get it right away? Did they understand any? Well, they hardly understood anything he was saying or doing. And, you know, they were always interfering. And, you know, some little kids come in. He's like, get out of here, you know. Some lady that was sick, you know. You know don't bother him, you know. And, and they, they, didn't, they didn't understand. They didn't get it right away. But they, they eventually did get it. And, and when, when he breathed on them and said, and receive ye the Holy Spirit, I don't think he said ye. That's an old habit <laughs> from the King James. Uh, receive the Holy Spirit. I think the light started going on. Remember when, he, when the road to Emmaus? 
and he's walking in, and all of a sudden they're going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. There have been some movies uh, in the past, uh, none which I can reference that any of you are old enough to remember, um, but maybe, probably. Um, uh, <laughs> but, you know, they, they, they set it up so much that, that you're just following along, you're intensely, you know, in the, following the plot line and everything, and then all of a sudden at the end there's a twist. And there's a movie called The Sixth Sense that's like that. Get it? And the whole time, you're, 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 he's there. He's right in the midst of this whole thing. And at the very end, you find out he's dead. And you go, and you start going back. And you start going back after scene, after scene, after scene. And you go, oh my gosh, he, he wasn't there. And, 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 you, and all of a sudden the light goes off. And, and, you, and, you, and you understand it in a different context. I think that's what happened to the disciples. I mean, they didn't. They didn't get it, and then, then he, he breathed on him, he spoke to him, and, he, and he, he, he unveiled the mysteries, and they go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, that's what's been going on. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a very, very uh, fascinating thing, the way this thing works. So, on the one hand, I, I call myself and I call people to discipleship. There's nothing else to call people to, period. Um, that's the only thing we're called to do. In fact, we're called to make disciples, teaching them to... You've got to do some Bible study here. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> teaching them to obey. Good grief. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'm leaving. I can pick on you all I want. Um, <laughs> I'm getting on a plane, getting out of here. Um, so, but this disciple-making thing is a process. This disciple thing is something we grow into. And we have, you know, we have steps forward and we have steps backwards. And, and we've, none of us, I don't think any of us, have just kept constant moving forward the entire time, uh, failing to be distracted. So what I think happens in, 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 a, in sort of an uh, overview of it, I, I, th- I think what happens with us is there's a gap between Jesus and us that develops. You know, we're supposed to be sticking really close to him. We're supposed to be imitating him. We're supposed to be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children, as, as uh, Paul writes. And, but, but life happens. And life has some distractions. My personal belief is virtually everything in life conspires against you and I staying close to Jesus. Almost everything. Because that's where the life is. That's where the power is, is with him. And so, the, you know, the enemy likes to distract us. We distract ourselves, and, and we undermine our closeness with Jesus. We, it's not all the devil. I mean, we, we play our part, too. Uh, but, but we're meant to stay close to him, and we're meant to, to let him, you know, we're meant to bear his yoke. You know what the, his yoke is? You know what the yoke was to a, to a, a rabbi? It was his teaching. You, you took the rabbi's yoke upon you. You took his teachings upon you. And just think about that and contrast that with the teaching of Jesus. And the teaching of Jesus that brings liberty and freedom, not law, not, 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 a, a, not a burdensome thing to live uh, under the law, law of love. Because that's what he brought. So anyway, here's uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, interpretation of 
this passage in Matthew 11, 28, 29. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? A couple points. One is, you know, Paul says in a couple different places, and Paul's the one we, we learn the most about the church from. Paul says, don't be weary in well-doing. Why on earth would he say that? Because you can get weary in well-doing. I don't know about you. If I get on a roll sometimes where I'm, I'm like behaving myself and I'm good and, and I'm not sinning and, you know, it's just, I'm just, you know, kind of, you know, kind of in this surreal place. And then I get to a point where I think, I deserve a little break, you know. I, I deserve a little, I, I, can, I can do a little of that over there because I've not been so good after all. And, uh, but then you find out that a little bit of love is love the whole lump, you know. You, you just can't play with this stuff. It's, it's dangerous. So the reason that Paul says we, we um, get worn out is because we can. It's possible. And Jesus is saying, you don't get weary, don't get tired, don't get worn out, or burden or burned out on religion. I can tell you, I can tell you from 52 years of, of, of experience, religion is a drag. Uh, religion sucks life away from you. Uh, religion distracts you and undermines the life we can have in God, the freedom we can have in God, the joy that we can have in God, the peace that we can have in God, the abundant life we can have in God. And religion is stuff we make up that God isn't requiring of us, you know, that we just require of ourselves because we want to feel like we're better than we are, you know. It's really okay to just stay at the foot of the cross. It's really okay. In fact, that's, a, that's like the safest place for me. I, I have to stay there. And I have to know my, 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 what I'm made of. And then, and then I need to be surrounded by a bunch of other people like that. That know that left to themselves, they're a mess. Left to themselves, they're up to no good. Uh, and yes, I do understand grace. And yes, I do understand that we have been uh, transformed, that we're new in Christ. But we still have to live it out. I'm sorry. We still have to, you know, I always talk about people falling on the floor and that kind of stuff. And that I'm the guy that helps you up. And then... You know, puts my arm around and go, okay, now go, now go love your wife. Now show up to work on time tomorrow and do, do, do your job to the, to the best of your ability. You know, raise your kids with love and nurture. You know, we, we have the encounter and then we have to, we, we don't get to stay there. We do not get to float through the clouds. We have to live this thing out. And, and, it's, and it always sounds better than it is. I mean, you mean, I mean, have you ever had a heart and a desire to serve the poor or the broken and the needy? And I, you know, when I talk about it, I get, I get emotional about it. And, and then I run into a broken person, a needy person, and man, they're a pain in the butt. Um, uh, it's just, it, 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 it doesn't, it, it's not, it sounds better than it is. And that's why, man, people like Jackie Pullinger, Mother Teresa and all that, I'm just like, they blow my mind. Because they don't just talk about it, they do it. You know, I, I was just was with Jackie a few weeks ago, and, and it was just delightful. I mean, it's delightful in a weird sort of sadomasochistic way. Um, uh, because she's, she can be meaner than a junkyard dog, man. Um, uh, and, and she's kind of earned the right to get in our faces, you know. Uh, 
because she's been doing it for 50 years, man, with the, the poorest of the poor and the drug addicts and the, and the prostitutes and messed up people. She, you know, she'll go by, uh, she'll walk by a dumpster and there'll be a person in the dumpster looking for food. She gets in the dumpster and helps them find food. That enough. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, I shut my mouth. Um, thank God she likes me a lot. Yeah, and she treats me real nice. Um, because <laughs> she can be trusted. There's a famous story of her coming here to Australia during the middle of the, the renewal. And she, you know, she talks and she draws her words out. She goes, more? You're asking for more? You haven't done anything with what I've given you. You go, oh, help me, Jesus, and baby Jesus. Um, I, mean, I mean, she can just kind of tell it like it is. You know, we don't hear the, those kind of things from many people. But most people haven't earned the right to be heard like that. She has. Um, but religion just is a drag. It's just us, you know, it's just us trying to put lipstick on a pig. Um, it, just, it just doesn't work. So... Like I said, I'm, I may not be back for a while. Um, so he says this. He says, so if you're burnt out by religion, by this stuff that's not the Spirit of God, that's not God, you know, not, that's not empowered by the Spirit of God and the grace of God, because that's what teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's not religion. It's, it's, it's the grace of God. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It's our tutor. And therefore, just like Paul says, we don't have any reason we can boast. How can I boast? I didn't do anything. He's done it all. And I just rest in that and, and walk in that. And I walk in the freedom of that. I, I've learned so much over the years to just, there's so many things I just don't have to do. There's so many hoops I don't have to jump through. There's so many people that I don't need to please. You know, I just need to please him. And the thing that pleases him is so I take his yoke upon me. I, I, I suspect in America that there are many people that minister, that pastor and lead, many men and women that are not carrying the yoke of Jesus. And the reason I, the thing that indicates that to me, as I talk about all this stuff, you're going to just realize how smart I am and the genius that I have. So listen close. Um, there are 1,700 pastors a month in America that quit. That quit or, or, or disqualify themselves. 1,700 a month. They're not carrying Jesus' burden, and I'm not condemning them at all. I've been them. Um, they're carrying these other issues, these other burdens, you know, and, uh, and they, they need to do this next thing that Jesus says. Get away with me. Oh, gosh, this is good. Get away with me and recover your life. Get away with me and recover your life. And, I mean, any of us have been Christians for a while. You, you've gone from the place of, you know, the euphoria of, of, of being introduced to Jesus and, and all that means. And, and, and it's just, uh, you, you really are like floating on a cloud. You, really, you, don't, you don't think about trying to overcome sin. You just, you just ignore sin. You just blow right by it. And so then you start going to church and you start losing your momentum a little bit. Um, but that's not what church is meant to do. 
It's not meant to do that. It's meant to be a place that encourages us and, and stirs us up and allows us to go back out, you know, empowered. And that's why we're supposed to speak to one another, the hymns and, and songs and hymns and spiritual songs, because prophetic words are words that the Holy Spirit's weight is on. And when the Holy Spirit's weight is on a word and it's spoken to you, it just, it cha- it's a game changer. All of a sudden, where you're despairing, you've you're got hope. You know, where you're worn out, you've got life. And so he says, get away with me. And, you know, when I, uh, about, I think it was two years ago or something, there was a guy speaking, um, and he was talking about getting away with Jesus. And he was talking about it in such a way, it was so compelling to me, and, and I just, I kind of got caught up in it, you know, and, and, uh, and I thought, man, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm getting away with Jesus. And uh, so, I'm, so my religious mechanisms started kicking in, you know. And so I thought, well, how am I going to get away with Jesus? I mean, what, what setting is right to get away with Jesus? And this guy had gone to a monastery, a Catholic monastery, where they do silent retreats. And so I go, I'm in. I'm going. And, uh, and so I signed up, you know, and I show up. And, and I am there for like three hours and I'm going out of my mind. I, I literally, I don't know if I have the recording still. It's really embarrassing. I'm like three hours into it, and I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, 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 I have five books open. There are five books open on my bed. You know, so I'm, so I'm, my mind is just going all over the place. And, uh, and I was just, and I was starting to panic. I thought, yeah, I can't be by myself for three days. You know, and so, and I kind of was hoping Jesus would show up, and uh, that wasn't really happening. And so, I, I finally met this priest, uh, Father Francis, very, very kind and nice and compassionate man. And, uh, and he could tell what I was made of, and it wasn't priestly sort of things. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not exactly a contemplative person. I'm a person who thinks a lot, um, but I think a lot while I'm doing other things. Uh, but I don't, I don't do well just sitting on a rock. You know, I, I'm just not made that way. And some of you might go, oh, well, you can be that way. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> I fool me once. Fool me once. So, so this guy had compassion on me. You know what he let me do? And this is when Jesus showed up. What? He let me what? Speak English. No, he didn't make me work. He let me on his internet <laughs> so I could get on Facebook. And I could stay in touch with, and bond with the world around me. And, uh, and so he basically suggested that this wasn't my lane. Uh, he said, you know what you might do is make your quiet time, the time you leave your house to drive, drive here, and then when you leave, use the time to go home. And I thought, I like you. You know, he didn't lay a religious trip on me. And it's funny, I made, I didn't, I made it like, I didn't make it a day. I went home in the middle of the night, you know, <laughs> and I got a pizza, I think. Um, but so, so as I do, I posted on Facebook my little journey, and, Car- and Carol Wimber writes, surprise, surprise, surprise. And I oh, shut up. You know, uh, just, uh, but since then, I've been trying to figure out where my lane is. You know, where do, where do I get away with Jesus? And you know where I get away with Jesus best? 
I'm a person who likes to be alone with other people around. I like to be around, around other people that leave me alone. I love to be around John. John and I have traveled all this way. I don't know how many days we've been gone, but it'll be like 25 by the time we're done. And we stay at people's houses, and we go into our rooms. We don't talk to each other. You know, these guys know. We don't talk to each other. We, we text each other. <laughs> He's in the room right across from me, and I text him. And uh, in, in a couple of situations, it's, we've not felt real safe in going out. And so I text, and I say, I want to go in the kitchen. Will you go with me? <laughs> and and so, so he goes, no, no, I'm not going. But he got hungry enough, and he loves coffee, so eventually would, he'd go with me and, uh, because I didn't want to get trapped. And, uh, but I, I love being with him but not being with him. And, uh, and so I've, I've, I like being with, I've got some guys I hang with and talk to and stuff like that. And I love being with those guys. I just love it. None of them are religious. They're very smart. They're very spiritual. Uh, but they're just easy to be with. And you know what? I experienced Jesus in them. I hang out with Robbie Dawkins every time he's in Southern California. We, I have a friend who's got this place that overlooks the ocean. We, we sit out there and, and we smoke cigars. Sorry. Um, and, uh, and, and, we, and we talk theology, and we talk God, and we talk Jesus, and we talk this stuff. And we talk our questions, we talk about our doubts, and we process and we think through things. And I feel so close to Jesus with those guys with those ugly stogies hanging out of their mouths, you know. Uh, and so I, 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 so I actually, we, we really work hard to, to spend that kind of time together. So however you, however you connect with Jesus, do that do that. You know, for John it might be, and it's probably not, uh, sitting, playing, learning, uh, writing a worship song. One of the things I like about John's songs is, is one is they can, like, they can be simple, but they can also be very uh, uh, complex and in-depth, like the couple that we did tonight. And, but he doesn't go and sit on a mountaintop, and he lives in a beautiful place. I mean, forests and trees and deer and bears and all kinds of stuff and um but but he writes songs when he's cleaning the chicken coop i love that i love it that you don't have to get religious to write a song because that's what we want to do you know that's the, what we construct in our mind but man you know the lord's with us all the time our language is when it relates to the lord and him being here and all that it's really not real precise because he's always here we don't, we don't enter the throne room of grace. We're already in the throne room of grace by the blood of Jesus. And we just have to wake up sometimes and realize that. And that's what happens in worship sometimes. So we kind of start, sometimes, start kind of not that in touch. But as time goes on and we call to mind. And yet will I call to mind and therefore will I hope. I mean, that is, that's banner for me, you know. Because when I remember him, and I remember what he's done, I remember what he's doing, I remember what he's about in my life, I have hope. I have hope. If I just sit and stare at me or stare at you, I don't have a lot of hope for any of this thing. I'm like, how, how can you possibly do this, Lord? Um, but, you know, because he intends to. So let me finish up. So he says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. You know, you can do that driving to work. You can do that sitting at work. You can do that 
in the shopping mar market. You can do that anywhere you can get away with him because we have this. And he renews our mind. He teaches us how to think differently. And so, so get away and you'll find he'll get real rest. Not all this chaotic stuff. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn, uh, this is the best line of the night. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Grace is like a hot knife through butter. When we're in his grace, when his, his full provision, we're full of the Holy Spirit and full of the gifts of the Spirit, it's just, it's not hard. You know, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. I'm going to get you a Bible study thing, Bible for idiots. Um, and... Uh, I love being, I could not say this at my church. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be driven out on a rail, man. <laughs> I, I openly admit my hypocrisy. Um, and John sometimes joins me in it. You know, you see, look, I got a witness over there. Um, but learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And that's like my daily prayer, Lord, show me. Show me my lane. Show me what you've created me for. Help me not to, to compare myself to anybody else and what their gifts are and what their ministry and what their person. Lord, just let me know mine and let me walk in it. And, let me, and if it doesn't seem that spectacular, I don't care. I just want to be with you. I just want to walk with you. And then he ends that statement. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Do the things that you try to put on yourself sometimes feel ill-fitting and um, heavy? Then it may not be the Lord. It may not be the Lord. And I think we all have done that with the Bible. Uh, we read it, we, we interpret it a certain way, and then we, then we, try, to, when we try to do it, you know. And, and, and we fail miserably because it's not what the Lord means. You know, when, it's, when it says to submit to one another in, 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 in reverence for Christ, it, it, it's submit to one another in love of Jesus. That's not hard to do. That's not hard to do. When I just try to love a person in my own strength, again, it sounds good, but it's not easy. Because people aren't always easy, right? So... Uh, so we have to just do it within his grace. So, you know, David couldn't wear Saul's armor. And so we've, we've got to be clothed in grace, his grace, his mercy. So if you've laid some trip upon yourself and you've committed to pray, you know, 10 hours a day, you know, just go back to the Lord and say, can you release me from that? Because it's not the burden that you're giving. And then find the burden that he's laying on you. And it, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So if, if it's not easy, if it's not light, there is a chance that it's not him. That makes sense? I've abused you all I'm going to. I'm Actually, I said this morning that what John, it, what John and I trying to figure out what we 
what we're, what we're going to do, you know, as we led up to this thing, uh, is we're like, well, what are we doing? And why are, why are we going to, you know? And uh, so we kind of tried to figure out, well, you know, do we have a, do we have like a theme? Do we have a word that would describe us? You know, that, that uh, you know, uh, anything like that, you know, any, you know, kind of like word. And the only word that we could come up with was quench. Um, it's the only one that made sense to us is quench, you know, because we have a tendency to, I have a tendency without a doubt, to not buy everything you say, not buy everything that you call the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not buy everything you call Jesus, Jesus. I mean, I'm going to, I have people in my church, they, they get, they're very enthusiastic, very excited, they get very uh, envisioned for some things, and I, I love that, and I bless that, but when they want me to take it on, I go, well, let me check it out. Let me weigh it. Let me see if it's the Lord. You know, let me see if, let me see if it, it's something that is emerged from the Word of God. Because that's the only thing I will set down on uh, with all my weight, is things that have come from the Word of God. Not a, not a tapestry that's been developed from a, a line over here and a word here, and, you know, a paragraph there, and we weave it into this thing and call it the Word of God, or that we're teaching from the Word of God. And I just, I, just, I just don't get moved by that or enthused by that. doesn't mean I don't think that the Lord could be in it. It doesn't mean that, that any of that stuff. I just, I'm just not putting my weight down on it if, if it's not emerging, not projected into, but emerging from the Word of God. So you know how I figure that one out? I just read Jesus. I read what Jesus said. I watch what Jesus did. I read the Apostle Paul, the architect of the church. And, you know, if he's not talking about it at all, but people are, like, trumpeting it, like, you know, this great, incredible insight and wisdom, but Paul never even considers it, I just, I just go pass. It's okay. I'll pass. doesn't mean I'm judging you. doesn't mean you can't do it. If you have faith for it, go for it. Uh, but if you're asking me, and you're asking me to be a part of it, I am going to weigh it. And that's where people... <laughs> Quench. <laughs> I have friends that they, they, that's, they call me Carl Quench. And, um, and, and I'm like, whatever. Um, and the other thing that we figured we'd do is, is we're, we're like, you know, in the, there's the, where Paul says one, one plants a seed, another one waters, another one reaps. In the earliest and most reliable manuscripts, it says, and one spreads the manure. And, um, that's not true at all. Uh, made that up, and that sounds really legitimate. Huh? Um, uh, we're just trying to stir up some growth. You know, we're trying to feed you stuff that will nourish you and grow you up, so that we'll be a fruitful church, and we'll be characterized by love and and the, the fulfillment and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That sound good? <laughs>